All right, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis 35. There is a great deal to consider in Genesis 35, and so a lot of, lot of content, a lot of truth, and so we need, to, we need to be ready to work this morning in the Word of God. You know, the Bible tells you to study, to show yourself approved unto God. And uh, so, man, if you have to, encourage your neighbor. If your neighbor looks tired, if they look like they're just going to sit in a service, like your neighbor needs to be rolling up their sleeves, getting out a pen, a pencil, something to take notes with, uh, just encourage them. Tell them, don't be a bum. Get to work, right? And then we need help. We need the Holy Spirit. Okay, no, no, no fighting. Uh, come back. And then we need help, right? We need help, uh, except God opens our eyes, except God opens our understanding. We're not gonna get anything uh, out of our study, out of the word of God. And so let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, well, creation declares you. It declares your glory. It declares you for who you are. And, and only the fool can say there is no God. Just the fact of our existence is a, is an amazing miracle. It's a wonderful testimony to just how brilliant and magnificent and how powerful you are. And Lord, you didn't leave us guessing. God, I thank you for this book that you've given us. I thank you for your word that proves itself over and over again to be exactly that, the words of the living God. And so Lord, uh, we wanna learn. We wanna not be left in the dark. We don't wanna be clueless like we have no knowledge of your existence. Uh, we don't wanna just know that you are, but we wanna know you. And so Lord, would you reveal who you are? Would you reveal truth? Would you reveal your will over our lives this morning as we study your word? God, I ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to receive and believe on your truth. And that, Lord, it would, it would be a reality in our life. That, God, the lost, other saved believers would see it and they would know of a truth. You're with us uh, because we're with you. And I ask for this blessing over our lives this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, in Genesis chapter 35, we're gonna see a dedication take place, but we're also gonna examine some loss, some deaths in uh, this place of Bethel. And so in, in verses one through 15, we're gonna title this section, The Start for Believing Jacob. This is a new start for him. This is a time of revival for him, but, but at the same time, uh, one of the great themes in this chapter is the theme of correction. That's your second blank. Uh, the theme of correction. And so, it, you know, it starts this way with correction. In Genesis 35, verse one, God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God. Get back to worship. Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And so in verse one, God's telling Jacob, you, you know, partial obedience isn't gonna cut it. You gotta go back, not part way, but all the way back to Bethel, back to the place of blessing, back to the place where, you know, where you used to worship the Lord. So God's calling Jacob to return to the land, and we've looked at the cross-references for that. We saw it in chapters 28 and chapter 31, but, but the problem was Jacob was taking his sweet time obeying the Lord. He decides part way, part way obedience, part way back, part way to the place 
where you're submitted to the word of God is good enough and that led to disaster. I mean, catastrophe came at Shechem. His daughter Dinah was raped in Shechem. In Shechem. You know, Jacob, I mean, if you were gonna like, if you were gonna mess up at all on this commandment, it would have been to stop by in Beersheba and say hey to mom and dad on your way to Bethel. I mean, that's like, don't stop at Shechem. Get back to the promised land. And so this is key. Get this down in your notes. Get this down in your heart. Close enough is a very dangerous place. Close enough is not good enough before the Lord. God will have no substitutes, right? He'll ha- he will not take partial obedience and call it good. Now, God had reminded Jacob of his forgotten vows. I mean, Jacob told the Lord uh, on, at Bethel on his way out, fleeing from his, the face of his brother Esau, man, if you'll just take care of me, if you'll just provide for me, I'll come back here, I'll come back and worship, I'll come back and tithe on everything that you bless me that you blessed me with. And you know, Shechem was a great place to make money and so, so he forgot about his vows. So God reminds him and notice the command here in verse one, return to the place of worship, right? Return to Bethel, build that altar. Return to the place of worship. You know, believers need these seasons in our life, man. We need these times where we come back to the place of worship where we just give God the glory, stop everything and give God the glory that's due him. That's what we're trusting the Lord to do. We turn 15 next month. Um, that, that, I mean, man, the miracles are, we lost count of all the miracles that God has performed in raising up a church at 40th and Walnut. This was the church that was never supposed to work. Nothing ever works here. Um, but you know, God works mightily. And so we just need to clear off two weeks. You wanna, you wanna take everything that you can possibly shut down and you just want that. Okay, if you're meeting for discipleship, come to one of the services and worship together. That's your discipleship meeting for the next two weeks, right? Let's worship, let's give praise, let's give thanks, let's give glory to God. Let's just stop for a minute and give praise to whom praise is due. Right, let's lift him up, let's give him, let's give him glory. Now, notice verse two, the idols have to be rejected. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse three, God tells you very clearly, uh, he is a jealous God, he'll have no other gods before him. And a lot of people will read that and they'll try to make God sound petty. No, God, God wants you for himself, but more than that, he wants what's best for you, and what's best for you is himself, okay? He wants nothing to come between you and him. Exodus 20 and verse three. And so Jacob, he gets this principle. Verse two says, then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. So, so technically what he's saying is, is get rid of all the instruments of idolatry, take a shower and put on clean clothes, okay? Take a bath, put on clean clothes, but don't miss the spiritual picture here. Be clean. Not just the putting away of the idols. We're not just talking about an outward washing here. This is cleanness in the inward parts. This is cleanness of the, cleanliness of the heart. Be clean, change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. I was running for my life from my brother. My brother, my big brother wanted to murder me. This is where I worship the Lord. He was, right, God was with me in the way which I went. 
And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. Okay, so they have to bury the idols and the earrings. What's in your ear? What's in your ear? Okay, so for Jacob to complete his vows, right, there has to be a sanctification process that takes place. And so, you know, we're not gonna go back into the promised land, the land that, that Almighty God promised us, worshiping other gods, okay? There is one God, and he's worth being right with. So we're gonna remove all the idols, all the foreign gods, because again, Exodus 20, verse three, God permits no rivals. So all this purification, right, the ridding of idols, the removal of their earrings, we'll talk about that in just a sec, the changing of their clothes, this is instructive for them as a people, right? They're entering into the promised land, and so they need to come in clean. And this would be the pattern that they follow Later, when they come out of captivity and they come out of Egypt, they come into the promised land, they have to cleanse themselves. They have to be purified before they can enter into the land of promise. And so let me give you Joshua chapter five, verses one through nine is homework. History repeats itself. When God's people are coming into the place of promise, it's a clean people. Uh, in, Joshua, in Joshua chapter five, it's, it's the circumcision at Gilgal. And uh, you, you need to check that out. Okay, so what about the earrings? Well, the earrings, that was a practice that they picked up in, in Shechem. That was part of their life in Shechem. And, and don't miss the connection to idolatry in verse four. Okay, so what's the pastor saying? I mean, is that, does that mean I'm saying that if you're wearing an earring, you're a devil worshiper? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. There is no, there is nothing in scripture that tells you an earring is demonic. That's not there, but what, what was here in Jacob's family was an adoption of the lifestyle of Shechem. And so we just need to put a, we, put, we need to put a stake down. We need a radical departure from what we're doing. It's like, uh, it's like, like if you're gonna go on a diet, uh, what do you do? Like you clear out everything in your cupboard that's not on the list, right? Anything that's got you know processed sugars and you know processed starches and all those things, you get rid of all of that. Now, did you actually have to do that to go on your diet? No. What are you doing? You're 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 making as much as anything. You're making a statement. No unclean thing will defile these fat lips that are now on a diet, right? I mean, you're making a you're making a statement with that. And so just think about it, right? Jewelry per se is not necessarily sin unless it's a vain idol in your heart. Ephesians 5 verse 9 tells us we're to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord and we're to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. Uh, what are you trusting in for your life to look good? What are you counting on to make you look good? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21 tells you to prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain. Right, you don't want any parts, right? Abstain from all appearance of evil. First John chapter two tells us fathers, right? I've written unto you fathers because you've known him from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you. You've overcome the wicked one. Here it is, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay, well then, you know, how do I look good? 
How do I represent well? Okay, you wanna know what looks spiritually hot? I mean, do you wanna know what's in this season, this spiritual season? You wanna know what to wear? Well, the Bible tells you, 1 Timothy chapter two, let's talk about the men. We want the men to look like studs. Okay, so how do we dress them up? 1 Timothy 2 verse eight says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Ladies, there is nothing better looking than a man just all out, all in worshiping. Amen, can I get an amen, sister? That was kind of weak. I mean, what are you looking for? I mean, do you want to marry a player? Or you want to marry a mighty man of God? I mean, there's just nothing quite as good looking as a man just all in worshiping the Lord. And you're like, that's not what this verse says. Au contraire, mon frere, look at the context. What's the next verse say? Look at verse nine. In like manner also, that the women, right, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. You know, you wanna catch a man's eye, how do you do it? Make sure the slit goes way up past common sense. No, that's not modest apparel, but what, what, how am I gonna catch his eye? Here it is, right? So dr- dress modestly with shamefacedness to sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. There are no prohibitions against this. Notice what the text is saying. You're not counting on this. Dressed modestly, what do you want to show? What do you want, what do you want God's people to notice? Verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Peter explains it as well in 1 Peter chapter three, talking about the wives and how they relate to their husbands. Uh, if you've got a husband that isn't thinking straight biblically, you're gonna win him by how you live out the word of God. Verse two says, while they behold your chaste conversation, how you live out the word of God, coupled with fear. And here's how you dress. Verse three, who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair. You're not gonna convert your husband if you spend you know, $250 on a, on a sharp haircut, right? Bringing it 100 isn't gonna change his heart, okay? The wearing of gold, the, 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 the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Sarah ended up being a major force for maturing in her husband's life. It had to start in her heart, right? It had to start in her trusting the Lord and being the wife that God called her to be to Abraham. And so she obeyed, verse six, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with your wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life. That's why Genesis two tells you that husbands and wives leave and cleave. Your, responsibility, your primary responsibility now is not to your parents, it is to your spouse. That is what, well, you're heirs together of the grace of life. So you need to be all in on that relationship to the glory of God. So how do I catch that man? How do I catch that woman? Well, you know, if you catch them through how you dress, uh, you know the, the saying, you, you actually keep them with what you want them. Okay, are you gonna, like what did you catch if you caught someone dressing like a hussy? What did you actually catch? 
I mean, you caught a hot mess and you caught trouble for the rest of your life. What you want is someone that wants a godly woman. Uh, I've got people that I care about deeply and they keep finding potential suitors, potential mates in bars and it keeps not working out. Okay, Jacob's family had picked up Shechem living and this marks for them a departure. We're gonna do this God's way. Look at verse five. As he obeys, notice God's protecting him. God protected Jacob as he obeyed him. Verse five says, and as they journeyed, right? And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Maybe word did get out. You know, remember Jacob's fear in Shechem. You, you know, you just slaughtered all these guys. And uh, these guys are gonna gang up and they're gonna wipe us out. What have you done? Boys, what have you done? and wiping out this city. And, and, and somehow God took that evil and he flipped it and he's working it. I don't know, I don't know. But one way or another, God's warning was on these cities not to mess with Jacob's family. Look at verse six. So, God, or, so Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar. So he's on his way to worship. And God makes sure that he gets there. He built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Bethel means house of God. He called that place God, the house of God. Why? Well, it's impossible to walk with God properly apart from God's house. You can't do it. People claim that they can do it all the time. You know, I've got, don't bother me about going to church. By the way, the house of God That's the church today in the age of grace. First Timothy tells you, Paul wrote First Timothy to Timothy so that he would know how to pastor the church. First Timothy 3.15 says, here's why I'm writing it. If I tarry long that thou, here's why you have this book, this epistle, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Ephesians 2 tells us that we're, as living stones were built together for inhabitation of the spirit. Okay, the house of God still exists today. Uh, God's people gather together, their Christ is in the midst. The spirit of Christ indwells his people. And so people will say, you know, I've got a relationship with the Lord, I don't need the church. Well, the church is full of messed up people. Uh, Well, then that's where you belong, because you're messed up too. You know, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, well, okay, You'll, you should feel at home. Um, it, it's, it's, it's sinners, it's full of sinners, saved by grace, by the grace of God. Thank God for that, we need each other. I mean, we're, obviously we're gonna see problems in one another. That's why the Bible tells us, we know no man after the flesh. I see how you're acting in the flesh. That's not who you really are, it's the new man. That's how we see one another. And so, you know, people have their reasons. Uh, reasons, explanations for why they're gonna forsake the assembling of themselves together. And it sounds good and logical to them. The problem is it's contrary to God's word. Do what you're told. Submit to the Lord, submit to the word of God. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Other people do that, that's not you baby, (laughs) right? You're a Bible believer, so you're gonna submit to the word of God and that's gonna be blessing over your life. I have an uncle that, over the years, from time to time, we'd try to get him to come to church with us, and he'd say, you know, I've got my church. I already got my church. What are you talking about, Uncle? What are you talking about? And uh, every, every, every Sunday, he said, I've got a case. 
And it, I mean, he, <laughs> so what, you, in the Ozark Mountains, everybody has their own personal private landfill. And it's where your, your field maybe goes into a draw and it starts to form a, a hollow, right? A, a holler, that's what you got, okay? Uh, right there, where that starts to go down off into the, into the, into the, the, to the woods, that's where you start landfilling. This cat had a mountain of beer cans bigger than this stage. I mean, just a mountain. I mean, this guy could have been a multimillionaire if he just saved the, the money from the beer, you know? I drink, a, I drink a case of beer. I just sat on my back deck and just enjoy creation. And me and the big man upstairs, we have an understanding. And um, by his 40s, he had a stroke and um, it messed him up cognitively. He couldn't make, he couldn't do the work that he used to do, he was in construction, and, and, and um, I think it was before 50, he was, he got to the point where he could drive again, and, uh, and, uh, and drove his car right into the embankment on a bridge, and that was the end of his life. Uh, I miss him, he, he was a lot of fun. Um, he went away that was right in his own eyes. And there's never any profit there. True repentance is always shown by our obedience to God's word. You say, I'm really sorry over the way I've been acting. No, you're not until you start doing what the Bible calls you to do. And you can, you can try to sell it that you're, to, you're doing the best you can to follow God, but when you know what the scripture says and you just keep doing what's right in your own eyes, you know what you are, you're not obedient, you're being wicked. Just stop it. Submit to the king. It's good there, it's, it's, it's a wonderful place of blessing. You know, it's not enough to hear the word, to acknowledge its truth. There has to be obedience to it. There has to be submission to it. You know, the devils believe the word of God, right? They know the truth, they just don't submit to it. That's why the devils believe but tremble, James 2, 19. Okay, in verse three and in verses six and seven, what are we seeing? Jacob is returning to the place of blessing. He's returning to Bethel, this place of fellowship with the Lord. That's your next blank. He's returning back to a place where he's communing with the Lord. He's walking with God. And brothers and sisters, get this down. That is the key to victory over backsliding. Partial obedience had him backsliding in Shechem. And his family is picking up the lost world, the lost way of living. What mom, dad, what your kids need to see is you on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't come up with a sports program that pulls your kids out of church. What do you think? Well, I want them to get a scholarship so that they can go to a good school. You know what you're doing? You're introducing them to the people that are gonna try to get them in hell. That's what you're doing. Don't do that. Trust the Lord. If God wants your kid to get a scholarship, They'll get the scholarship. Make sure they get the good grades. They can go to the practices and things like that, but don't say success in the world is worth it, right? Success in the world is worth it. Worth what? Worth ripping off my right relationship with the Lord in order to get ahead with the lost world. That's a way that's right in your own eyes. And so how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I get out of that trap? Man, I need to get back to the place of fellowship. That's the key, right? That's the, that's the answer to getting victory over backsliding. Jacob had to go back to Bethel. He had to go back to obedience. He had to go back to worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. 
And Jesus tells his people the same thing. In Revelation chapter two, he said to the church at Ephesus, do the first works, right? Get back to the place of reverencing me in my word. Get back to the place of loving me first. Verse eight. Here Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died. She was buried beneath Bethel under an oak and the name of it was called Elan Bakuth. We'll come back to verse eight in a moment, but I want you to notice now this progression that we're seeing, okay? Carnal Jacob, don't miss this picture, okay? We started this picture with carnal Jacob and he forgot the covenant and that resulted in terror in Shechem. Man, his daughter Dinah got raped. His sons murdered an entire town. I mean, it was, I mean and, and what, where is he now? I shall be destroyed in my house. And so God is so good and he calls Jacob to repentance, right? To revival. He calls him back to the promise. He says, arise and go up to Bethel. And so to Jacob, Bethel was both a dreadful place, remember that in chapter 20, and it's also the gate of heaven. And the gate of heaven is the house of God. And so it's arise, go to Bethel and dwell there, live there, build an altar there. And so now he's living in the house of God. What's that, what's that picture now? Bethel is the solution to Shechem, right? L- walking with God, worshiping God, dwelling with God. Living in the house of God is the solution to corrupt living with the world. And so now we see repentant Jacob, and so he says to his household, put away your strange gods, be clean. What's, what, what's necessary? If we're gonna have a right walk with God, that means repentance is required, right? We don't walk rightly with God when we bring the lost world, when we bring our idolatry into that relationship. So repentance is required. Now we're walking with God. Psalms 93 verse five says, holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So what does Jacob do, right? I will make an, he tells his family, I will make an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress, verse three. So God's call to Jacob reminds him of God's goodness, his greatness, his his care for him in a time of great trouble in his life, in his past. Romans 2, four says, and just ask the question, do we despise, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? So God's good to Jacob. He's drawing him back to a place of repentance and blessing, and now we see victorious Jacob. So they journey, they journey they're, right? they're, they're sojourning together, and the terror of God come upon all the cities that they pass by. And so the picture there is when God's people get right, I mean, when they're really right with the Lord, the lost world, they know it. You know, the lost world loves despising the Bible. They love despising the God of creation. They love despising Christians. But it's tough, it's a little scary to despise something that's obviously 100% plugged into the creator. That's a, that's, that's a whole other thing. That's kind of a tough thing to ignore or to dismiss, when, when God's people get right, the lost know it, and they can feel God's power on his people. And brothers and sisters, we need this. We can never fall into the trap that, that, that we're gonna study the lost world in order to find success in our ministry. Churches do this all the time. Um, you know, once we, at, at the point where we get our act together and we start doing ministry smart, then God will bless us. No, no, no. 
what we're saying with that is at the point where we can esteem ourselves highly in our own eyes, well then God owes us, no, that's not gonna ever work. We're a small people in a hard place. We serve a mighty God. Let's walk with him. Let's trust him to do what only he can do in the lives of his people. Now who gets all the glory? Now God gets all the glory. And then the lost world sees it. They see how God is working. I don't want anybody to look at Midtown Baptist Temple or the things that, have come, that God has done through Midtown Baptist Temple and for them to say, man, that Pastor Miles, he sure is sharp. Look what he, I mean, not that we're in any danger. We're not in any danger of that, but look, <laughs> just bear with me, okay? I don't want anybody to look at our ministry and say, wow, that Miles, that is one sharp cookie. That would be total failure. Like we've completely missed it. I want people to look at MBT and say, man, look what God did with that hot mess. <laughs> look what God did. Look how mighty God is in his people. That's amazing. Like if God can do that with them, what can he do <laughs> with, it, with, with everybody else, you know? I mean, I don't know, man. Pastor Lee said the reason why ungodly people are so brazen-faced in these days, it's because the people of God are so worldly-minded, Bethel is forgotten, and other gods have dominion in the camp. Man, that's so true. Okay, so what comes next? Well, naturally, it's worshiping Jacob. He comes to Bethel, he builds the altar, and God appeared unto Jacob again. That's what we're gonna see next. God appeared. That's what, that's everything. That God is with his people. So get this down in your notes. This is key. God is with those that are with him. I mean, if you think you can walk without the Lord, God's like, okay, let's see what you get done. Hebrews 11:6 six says, without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so here it is. I mean, this is the, don't we need God with us? Don't we need whenever we assemble together as a company that the lost would come in and, and fall down on their face and worship the Lord, that they'd fall down on their face and say of a truth, God is in this place? That's what we need. <laughs> we don't need, you know, like, man, Eric is a sharp-dressed worship leader. No wonder they're reaching Kansas City. Like, that can't be the testimony. I'm not saying that, well, I've got no comment on how Eric dresses, but... <laughs> It's better than me, I get that, I know that. And so, like that can't be, like, like there can't be fleshly uh, 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 explanations, human reasoning explanations for what's happening at 40th and Walnut. It has to be God is in the midst of his people. Don't you want that? Aren't you desperate for that? Aren't you desperate that, that you not waste your life? that you'd not play at Christianity like little kids play at house? Aren't you desperate to know that God is having his way with his people? Don't you wanna be a part of a ministry and a people like that? Brothers and sisters, be done with the one bunning. Be done with the, with the messing around and, 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 and the affairs with the world. Be done with that. Be all in on who God is and what he said. He's worth being right with. Jacob saw it, he submitted to it, and God showed up. Here it is, verse nine. God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. 
And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon. And he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Okay, so Jacob's return to Bethel, his revival, his obedience, results in renewed communication with the Lord. Man, when we're walking with God, the book just opens, it, it opens itself up to us. Man, when you read the Bible, okay, and the Bible just seems like a dead, dusty old book, you know what the problem is? You've got a dead, dusty relationship that you're trying to cultivate. That's what's going on. This book is alive, okay? This book will talk to you. Okay, so what's that? I read my Bible and it's just, just seems like some dead, dusty old book and, and I can't read it without falling asleep. Center, wake up, okay? Come to the book. Uh, Come to the Lord in repentance. Come to the Lord full of faith. God, would you reveal yourself to me? God, would you show me who you are in your word? And then you better take inventory because God is a jealous God. Exodus 20, verse three. He'll have no other gods before him. Is he first in your life? Will you put off the Shechem lifestyle and will you say, I I, I know you're not gonna do it perfectly, okay? But will you begin to endeavor to walk with the Lord in repentance of sin and faith toward God. Will you ask the Lord, Lord reveal yourself, would you talk to me? He'll do it. And then you're accountable for what he shows you in his word. So it results in renewed communion with God, renewed communication with God. So here's the conclusion, there is no true communication with God until all the idols are removed and we come into God's presence as he instructs us by his word. And what does God tell Jacob? Well, he renews the Abrahamic covenant with him. We've already looked at that. And he adds the fact that kings would come from him, right? So not only is the covenant confirmed, but he gives them more, you know, with each stage of development, the data set gets bigger, right? There's more information regarding the Abrahamic covenant with each stage of Israel's growth and development. Jacob goes back to the first works Revelation chapter two, he does the first things. He's now back to his first love. He's, he's worshiping the Lord and, and he sets up this stone pillar. He pours oil on it, but notice there's one small difference, right? He, he renames it Bethel. But this is the first mention of a drink offering and this would have included wine as we compare scripture with scripture. The first time back in 2818, he anoints the pillar with oil. Why? Because he fears the Lord. This time it's both oil and wine. Why? Wine in your Bible pictures joy, right? It's not just fear of the Lord now, but it's joy in the fact that God is his, his sustainer. God does have him. And I give you, did I give you the cross references, Psalm 105 and Ecclesiastes 9? Uh, that's so you don't miss the fact that wine in your Bible pictures, there's a picture of joy in that. Now, the second half of this chapter, we're gonna. We're gonna title this section, The New Son of Bereaved, Bereaved Jacob. And so here we see all of the funerals, okay? In verse eight, we saw the death of Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. Next, we're gonna see the death of Rachel. Rachel will die giving birth to Benjamin. 
Um, and then she's buried on the way to Bethlehem. So here it is, verse 16. And as they, and they journeyed from Bethel, and there, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Onai. But his father called him Benjamin. Just file that away, we'll come back to that. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. So on the way to Bethlehem, Ephrath, Rachel dies, but she gives birth to Benjamin as she passes, and she names him the son of my sorrow. But Jacob changes his name to Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Okay, will you just file that away? We're gonna come back to that in a second. She's giving birth, she's dying, and she's like, this kid's literally killing me. <laughs> right, the son of my sorrow, the sorrow of death. Uh, Jacob won't let that stand. No, your name's Benjamin. You're the son of the right hand. And Benjamin, just pay attention to this, of all the patriarchs, Benjamin is the only one that's born in the promised land. Don't miss that, okay? There's something special about Benjamin, and we're gonna see. Obviously, he's a type of Christ, yeah. Only three people, that's like, okay, so, so she's buried just north of Bethlehem. Rachel, or Rachel's death was just north of Bethlehem. She's buried in Bethlehem. That's the birthplace of Jesus. Um, and, and just sometime it's a good study to study the, the Genesis women. Uh, there is a tragic component to all of these women. You know, Sarah, Hagar, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, Dinah. Uh, we'll see later, Tamar. Um, it's, it's there. And then in verse 29, uh, you see the death of Isaac. Okay, so think about Benjamin. What is the picture here? I want you to just... Let's, let's just go up in a blimp and get the 50,000 foot overview of this chapter. In verse one, what do we have in this picture? Israel is returning to the land, but she has to be purged from idolatry, verse two, okay? And then there has to be an acknowledgement of the truth, and then Israel experiences in verse nine a personal experience, a, a personal uh, a visit, a personal appearance of the Lord. And then Israel is restored in right worship to God and then the son of the right hand appears. Benjamin appears. Okay, does anybody know what we're talking about? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that what we're seeing in the last days? That's, we're seeing Genesis 35 play out before our very eyes. I mean, uh, man, the Holocaust and World War II, all of that prepared the Jewish people for the land, but there is some trial and tribulation that has to be go through, gone through that will, that will purge Israel from all other, from all Shechem living, okay, from all worldly living, and there will be an acknowledgement of who the Messiah truly is, okay, when the abomination of desolation takes place. I mean, it just gets, I mean, it just starts to get as bad as it can possibly get. The Jewish Bible believer recognizes at that point, and then they're provided for in the wilderness, okay? They're provided for in the promised land, and, uh, and, 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 and they're led in safety. They're provided for in protection in the promised land. 
right? The right worship, a right recognition takes place and then the son of the right hand appears on the world's greatest rescue mission ever. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, Benjamin appears uh, to rescue Israel. In Romans chapter 11 it says, and so shall all Israel be saved. Uh, incredible, incredible prophetic view of Israel's restoration in the last days. Does everybody see that? Uh, what an incredible picture in Genesis 35. All right, verse 22. Here's the rough stuff. Reuben commits adultery with Rachel's handmaid, Billa, uh, who had been given to Jacob as, a, as a, a secondary wife. She's the mother of Dan and Naphtali. Verse 21 says, and Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Eder, and it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Billa, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. And again, the concubines were the women who came into the marriage without a dowry. Their duty was simply to provide children uh, to the patriarch. And you know, Reuben sleeping with her, this is grievous sin, okay? So under this theme of correction that we're describing here in Genesis chapter 35, we're gonna see that, that Reuben has to be dealt with. This can't, this can't be let slide, right? We can't let this slide, we can't let this go. Uh, it has to be dealt with, it's a grievous sin. It's so bad, I mean look at 1 Corinthians chapter five. I mean, pagans, heathen people know better than what Reuben did. The sin has to be dealt with because it cannot be hidden. The Bible says Israel heard it. Be sure your sin will find you out. You know, Reuben thought he could just do what he wanted and nobody would ever know. Uh, you know, I don't think, she left off bearing children. I don't think we're really gonna hurt anyone, no. It hurt and God ended a ministry here. Watch this, 1 Corinthians 5 verse one. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. The lost world, pagan people know better than that. And you're puffed up and are not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily as absent of the body but present in spirit Right, I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. What is it? Watch this, verses four through six, what's he saying? Deny him his birthright. Because that's exactly what happens to Reuben. He's denied, who's the firstborn? I mean, to whom would the, the blessing and the rights of the first, I mean, it's, it's Reuben, right? He should be the one who takes Jacob's place as the patriarch, doesn't happen. Deny him his birthright, watch the picture. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You think you're all wound up about what you can do, your liberty in Christ. And you're not, man, you're, you're not, your sin was judged at Calvary. <laughs> so your, your response is you're gonna continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, you're so messed up on that, you think it's okay for a guy to sleep with his father's wife. Like the lost world knows better than that. Deliver him to Satan for the, deny him his birthright. Deliver him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? Peradventure he will repent and get right right? Peradventure, there'll be some salvaging at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the goal. And by the way, you giving him license to sin, that gives you license to sin. 
don't do it. Numbers, 20, or Numbers 32, 23 says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, be sure your sin will find you out. Psalms 90, verse eight says, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath, we spend our years as a tale that is told. See, Reuben did lose his birthright. In Genesis chapter 49, the day of reckoning comes. Verse three, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and excellency of power, unstable as water, Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. No blessing for you. Get out of my sight. <laughs> this boy heard this from his dad. First Chronicles 5.1 says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the sons of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. Changed everything. What happened? A son that slept with his father's concubine was obviously rebelling against his father's authority. That's what's taking place here. It's just like the prodigal son. He can't wait for the inheritance. I can't wait till I'm ruling and I'm running the roost. And so I'll take what's mine now. And Reuben's rebellion is, 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 is revealed here to show why he forfeits the birthright of the firstborn that's later given to, I mean, here's Joseph. He marries an Egyptian and is given to his children. That's where it goes. Two new tribes are raised up. So here's the picture. Don't miss this. Don't miss the warning. The judgment seat of Christ is coming. Now, if you're a child of God, you're an heir of God. There's, that's an unconditional promise. But your right to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom, that's conditional based on your behavior. Here's Reuben saying, not the father, but me. What is that? Is that the spirit of Christ or the spirit of, it's the spirit of Antichrist, okay? Exodus 20, verse three. He'll have no other gods before him. Will you take up your cross and follow? Will you join the fellowship of his suffering or will you go away that's right in your own eyes? The judgment seat of Christ is coming. Don't lose out on an inheritance to rule and reign with Christ over wrong pursuits. Taking life, taking, I mean, this is Shechem living, man. Taking for yourself in this world. God sees it, God hears about it. You think you got away with it. Man, repent, start sowing to the spirit. Because God takes this personal. Either he's God or you're God. Either his word rules or your will rules. Which is it gonna be? Choose you this day whom you will serve. In verse 22, we see the patriarchs listed. Now the sons of Jacob were 12, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulon, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, and the sons of Billah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born unto him in Padanaram. Okay, there we have now a progression of the genealogy of Christ up to this point. I've got it listed for you in your notes with the cross-references. Now we're up to Judah, okay? We'll see that, um, we'll see that as the ending point here. Uh, well, actually we won't. We'll actually see one more generation uh, before we're done. Verse 27, now we see the death of Isaac. And Jacob came 
unto Isaac, his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Um, so notice, I mean, Isaac, who was worried that he was close to death because he was blind, <laughs> ends up living for multiple decades later, okay? So with him as the exception, the lifespans are generally decreasing, okay? Abraham lives 175 years, Isaac 180, but Jacob lives 147 years, and Joseph, when we get to the end of this book, he lives for 110 years. We see him pass in Genesis 50. But notice the text says he was gathered unto his people. That's a reference to Abraham's bosom. You read about that in Luke chapter 16. And so for the believer, death isn't just separation from the dead body. The soul lives on in God's care. That's how it works. Uh, You are a triune being. You're a triune creation. You exist as body, soul, and spirit. In Genesis chapter two and verse seven, when God formed man from the dust of the ground, he formed his body, but he put, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He inspirited him, right? There was an inspiration that took place. And so now, the spirit of God is indwelling this flesh, and the Bible says man became a living soul. After the fall, okay, what happens? The spirit is cut off from the life of God. You are now spiritually dead in sin. And the soul is now in this body of sin, okay? Once a person gets saved, how did that take place? According to Colossians chapter two, when we believe on Christ as our sin bearer, once our sin debt truly is reckoned, accounted, paid, dealt with in full at the, at the cross of Calvary, the Bible says that God performs a spiritual operation. It's called the operation of God. It's made without hands. It's where the Holy Spirit takes the scalpel of God's word and he spiritually circumcises you away from the body of the sins of the flesh. Your soul is cut away from your flesh and it's now sealed, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, Galatians 3. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, now he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Okay, before Calvary, when when a believing saint died, angels, according to Luke chapter 16, would carry their soul to paradise. That's what would happen. If there were no angels to take you to God's care, then you would lift up your eyes in hell. In the age of grace, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So absent from the body, the Bible says is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, I'm in a great strait. I mean, I know that I need to be here ministering to you, but to depart and be with the Lord would be far better, right? It's, it's tough living for the Lord. Here, Eva, uh, take, this, uh, take the other end of this rubber band. Reach out there and grab it. You got it? Okay, so now she's got the other end of the rubber band. Do you see it? Eva's got the other. Eva, can you stand up so everybody can see? Just hold the rubber band. <laughs> you got it? Okay. We're gonna, in this picture, Eva is the Lord Jesus Christ, and, 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 and I'm Sam, okay? So at the point where I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he that has joined the Lord is one spirit. And when my body expires, when the silver cord is broken, according to Ecclesiastes, absent from the body, right? The body lets go, right? Did you see what happened to the rubber band? Oh, come on. 
You're, you're, you're playing Jesus. You wouldn't even say ow. You'd be like, get in, you'd be like, right? Get in here. Absent from the body is present with the Lord, right? Because he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Before Calvary, angels had to carry, thanks Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you, Eva. Okay, so that's how it worked. <coughs> Excuse me. Isaac dies here and angels carried him, right? He was gathered, see that? He was gathered unto his people. Don't miss that. Man, thank God for the angels. Uh, I'm so grateful uh, for these ministering spirits. I think we're gonna get to heaven and we're gonna find out how hard these guys were working and there's gonna be a pang of regret that uh, we got outworked by people that Christ never had to die for. I mean, he had to die for us. Isaac, his death is shown here. You just need to know chronologically this is included here to be with the other deaths. He doesn't actually die. Uh, it's chapters 37 and f- through 40 all occur while Isaac is still alive. We just get the vignette of his death here. I'd like us to close our eyes and I'd like us to consider a few things, okay? Is there anybody here today that if you really will, if you really will examine your heart and life, is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor, please pray for me because I need to come back to the Lord. I need to come back to a place of worship. I need to get back to Bethel. I need to bury some idols <laughs> and I need, to, I need revival in my life. Will you pray for me? Can I see your hands? Okay. Is there any of you that would say, please pray for me, I read my Bible and it's like a dusty old book. <laughs> the word of God isn't speaking to me and, and, and I'm, ask, I'm gonna trust the Lord uh, to repent and come back to him. I'm gonna come back to the place of revival and, and I want God to show up in my life. I want him to start speaking to me in his word. Can you pray for my time in the word of God? Can I see your hands? Okay. Is there any that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I've never come to the place where I know I'm saved, where I know I'm born again. I don't know that I've actually got God in my life. If I've ever had him in my life, please pray for me. Can I see your hands? I'm gonna say pray for me, I'm not sure I'm saved. Is there anyone? Please pray for me. I need Christ in my life. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? You will be gathered to your people one day. That's gonna happen. It'll be either to rejoicing or to eternal torment. One way or another, you will be with your people. If you're not saved, if you don't know that you're born again, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, I'm asking, Lord, you see all of us with need, with request. Lord, would you would you help us to see that what's best for us is no other gods before you? That what's best for us is repentance toward sin, life in Shechem, and obedience, a walk with you. Lord, would you bless the times that we have in in your word? Uh, Would your word speak to us? Uh, God, you, Your God, we're your people, and except you open our eyes and open our understanding, Lord, except your word speaks to us, we'll waste our time 
in your book anyway. And so God, we just confess how we need you. Lord, would you speak to us as your people and then Lord, would you in your grace give us the, the ability to see truth, the ability to love truth and to walk in truth. God, that you be glorified. And then Lord, for the, for the, the, the dear woman that raised her hand and for, for any other that say, I don't know that I'm saved. I need Christ in my life. God, let today be the day of salvation. God, help them to see that you are, all you are is love. (laughs) And you're not willing that any would perish. And that there is salvation, there is eternal life, there is a relationship with you through the finished work. It's found in the finished work of Christ at Calvary. Lord, help us to see it and to believe on it. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen.